Trevor's song um, begins with a large tree crashing through a stained glass window. This image hits close to home as we look around our own neighborhoods and yards littered with fallen trees. This Wednesday, as our landscape froze, beautiful and foreboding in the ice storm, the season of Lent began for much of the Western church. Lent is the most austere time in the Christian calendar. For those of in, us in Michigan, this austere season occurs during a time of contrast. When the days are steadily lengthening, but the spring weather is chaotic, even punishing. A time when bulbs awaken to reach for a warming sun only to be flash frozen to the ground. Traditionally, Lent is a time of obligatory fasting, continuing for the 40 days leading up to Easter. This fasting is not meant to be an end in itself, but as a prompt for self-reflection. It is a time when hunger itself is meant to inspire our sense of dependence on God, to provide a time to take real stock of our lives. Only very recently have Anabaptists started observing Advent and Lent. Mennonites in general have integrated Advent much more thoroughly and enthusiastically, I think. Perhaps because its core message, we shouldn't rush too quickly into the joys of Christmas, that maybe we should abstain a little bit longer from its feasting and its extravagance, fits well with our, at times, somewhat measured, even dour dispositions. <laughs> In a similar vein, Lent might not add much of a contrast for us to our normal demeanor of simplicity and plainness, our tendency towards self-judgment and guilt, our focus on those hard parts of Jesus' life and experience. Historically, Anabaptists have kind of kept a perpetual Lent, in any event, it's really hard for me to imagine us ushering in Lent with anything like the celebratory and Bacchus Mardi Gras festivals in New Orleans. The best I've seen Anabaptists do is get a bit too generous with the maple syrup on the pancakes. And that was in Canada where that stuff is a lot more available and cheap. <laughs> Silliness aside, while most of us do not live lives of ebullient feasts or obvious opulence, we also don't live as austerely as we sometimes like to imagine. In reality, most of our lives are ones of steady and consistent comfort, maybe interrupted this week. Protected by various insurances and securities against many of life's uncertainties. As a religious community, how might we interrupt our constant low-key feasting, our lives that mostly can be lived independently of God and one another in a meaningful act of fasting and self-examination? This is a good question, I think. And I'm not sure that a practice of literal fasting is the answer. I don't see it aiding us in asking deep questions about ourselves or the institutions that we inhabit. For one, I've walked with enough friends through struggles with disordered eating and body hatred to know that morality clings to fasting and food in our culture in really twisted ways. Traditionally, Lent begins with the reading 
this reading about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Ruth read Matthew's version of that story this morning. The setting of the text is a particular ordeal that Jesus must face, an ordeal that is connected to his unique identity as God's chosen. Through this ordeal, we learn how Jesus is going to approach his public ministry, his encounter with people with power, and his death. Jesus is going to approach all that comes after him as no more and no less than as a human being. We learn that he will choose hunger in the wilderness instead of providing manna like Yahweh did, that Jesus will not coerce people's love by providing them bread from stone. He will not coerce their belief by public spectacles, either jumping off the temple or coming off the cross. He won't bow down to Satan or deploy idolatrous power to get everyone on earth to worship him. Jesus will risk true betrayal as a price of true love and friendship. I don't see this passage as a recommendation of our fasting. Instead, I see this passage as inviting us to reflect on a mystery together, the mystery of the incarnation of God. From time to time, I teach an introduction to church history. One thing that surprises students is that the earliest theological controversies in the church weren't really about whether or not Jesus was God. Instead, a number of movements and groups classed widely as Gnostics rigidly denied that Jesus had been a real human being. Paul is contending, contending with these ideas all throughout his letters, arguing with people claiming that Jesus only seemed to be human. These Gnostics associated true spirituality with being able to live lives disconnected from their bodies and bodily needs. In point of fact, being wealthy enough to live lives disconnected from bodily realities, from the demands of hunger or homelessness or physical danger. Gnostics were actively trying to rid Christianity of its association with poor people and outcasts and slaves. They wanted to craft a version of Christianity where they no longer had to spend so much time thinking about the fact that its leader had been duly punished by the empire they resided in. They were much more concerned about how to maintain certain spiritual states and were obsessed with their own enlightenment and being separate, different, superior. These inclinations never really left the church. From them, we, I think, have inherited practices around Lent, obsessed with obtaining enlightenment through denying our body and its needs. And it seems to me that many practices of Lent are premised on a conceit that Jesus prepared for his mission and ministry during this fasting in the desert. And because of this, we should prepare for Holy Week in the same way, by a religious ceremony of austerity and denial. Yet in doing so, I think we deny something very central to the gospel story we are telling. Jesus didn't prepare for the events of Holy Week by fasting. Instead, Jesus prepared for his last days by living his life, his very fully human life. If we are looking for an accurate way of following, we might be more attentive to who is sitting around the table and less attentive to what is on our table. As a worship committee, we are asking that we prepare ourselves to encounter the story of both Good Friday and Easter.
again by thinking together about the songs of Lent, songs that make us consider Jesus's humanity and our own humanity, songs that ask us to be attentive to fearful smiles and joyful tears. Jesus resisted living a life on earth that was either more or less than human. And somewhere along the way of living his very human life, a life that somehow got him accused of drinking too much wine or spending too much time with the wrong type of women or not being very careful with money, a life where he told stories that were at times straightforwardly and achingly beautiful and at other times confusing, even annoying, a life where he at times morosely got into a boat and paddled away from everyone or took naps in the middle of the day, a life where he taught in fields and synagogues to crowds or around wells to one lady. And all this time said some things that still inspire us and others that we wish he had never said, who managed somehow to refuse the social pressures of his day to marry or be a father, that somehow that this life led Jesus headlong into such controversy that he was killed by one of the most politically sophisticated empires that ever existed. And we are gathered here together because Jesus' story did not end there. Maybe as proof that Jesus' story did not end there. Confessing in our own disjointed way that there is something so beautiful and compelling here in this story of Jesus that we cannot stop telling it to each other. For me, for me, that compelling and beautiful thing is that this human being was also somehow God, the perfect image of God. That God said, sure, you can see me in the sky or a mountain in its incandescence and perfection and power and majesty, but mostly you can see me in this very human person, Jesus. And consequently, you can also see me surprisingly well in each other. Especially people who are a lot like Jesus. And by this, I don't mean holy and perfect and inspiring. No, when I say you see me in people like Jesus, I mean people who seem weak or silly or disreputable or even criminal. Scripture says these things. If this is just a poem or a metaphor or a puzzle... It's still one worth considering, a pretty earth-shattering idea, really, one certainly worth pondering for the next 40 days, a fast not from food but from our notions that God is what we expect or even what we desire.